This podcast is made possible by DistroKid, the new standard in digital music distribution. DistroKid is the best way to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, TikTok, and more. Check them out at distrokid.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. We first interviewed Adrian Quesada back in 2013 in issue 92 about his band Grupo Fantasma and have since chatted with him about his Grammy-winning project, Black Pumas, on the Tape Op Podcast. During quarantine, Adrian created two solo records, Boleros Psychodelicos and the most recently released Jaguar Sound. Jeff Stanfield caught up with Adrian to discuss. Enjoy. Well, welcome back. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Nice to chat again. This record is, so it's the second solo record that you've you've released. Uh, you did Bolero Psychedelicos <clears throat> last year, and um, or maybe even less than a year, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, again, this is a record that's like super rooted in this late 60s, 70s sort of era, you know, vibe, but still having a very you know, touches of quite modern sound uh, infused into it as well. In fact, some of the arrangements reminded me of like the, the Grupo uh, Fantasma stuff in a way. I mean, you're, you got some cool horn arrangements and stuff. Um, tell me a little bit about the the concept for this record and, and how that paired with the making of Bolero Psychedelicos. So this one was actually uh, recorded before, uh, the Boleros record. So we did this, or we, I, I did, you know, a lot of this uh, by myself. And this one was completely done remotely. It was done uh, all during the like actual quarantine period, you know, during like March, April, May 2020. So it kind of just came out of isolation. I felt this like insane creative burst those first couple of months. I was up every, you know, it was like my calendar went away just like everybody else's and all of a sudden I had like all this free time and no real place to be <laughs> anywhere and no like obligations to take kids to school in the morning and whatnot so it kind of started out of me just staying up late at night and the only thing I could kind of do by myself that I hadn't done in a long time was make hip-hop beats I would go on these long bike rides and you know there was no one on the street so it was really kind of fun to ride down south congress here in austin and like no traffic and i just go on long bike rides and listen to tons of music and i started really digging into um a lot of hip-hop instrumental stuff and that was just what i could do at night i've always wanted to revisit making hip-hop beats and never really had the time so i would just stay up every night and just knock out tons and tons and tons of those until all of a sudden i started to hear kind of an undercurrent to it and i just thought it'd be cool to bring some of them to life so i started doing that by you know i was kind of checking in with friends and a lot of people were starting to record at home and sending me stuff to play on and just kind of built this little network of like i'd you know knock out a guitar part for a friend send it back started doing the same and uh really kind of started to come to life when i put live drums on them all of a sudden it was like oh yeah these could actually be kind of exciting and it was a little more challenging to put live drums than it was to use the program drums i was doing at the time so sort of started to take shape there and and i really wanted to capture it quickly it was like there was this this feeling of uh isolation but also you know and at first it was like super exciting and inspiring and you know i'd read that uh you know the thing that started going around about how shakespeare wrote some of his best work during quarantine and then uh 
but then I was like, then you read the the uh, counter to that, which was like, well, yeah, he had a lot of wealthy donors, and it's the context is completely different to what we were going through. But I don't know. I just felt a burst, and it was, and I really felt like it was important to document document that that moment in time, you know, versus like, you know, I work on stuff that drags on for a year or two, and I was like, I really need to like do this now and do it and put and wrap it up and put it aside. Uh, so yeah, it kind of came out of just sending it to friends that would send me stuff back and, and piece it together, which was, was pretty tricky considering the nature of like the recording right. was all over the place. And, uh, and yeah, that was like one of the quicker things I've ever wrapped up just because it just felt right. I kind of came up with this musical theme that ran throughout. I was feeling like particular themes and emotions when I was making it and, and, uh, put it to bed. I actually wanted to put it out like that year I wanted to put it out um in mid to late 2020 and it just didn't line up with a bunch of other stuff but yeah then eventually started the Boleros album just immediately after and when both of those were done we decided to release them in reverse order yeah I mean you're talking about that it was sort of started with you know making beats you know you know more that were more hip-hop oriented but if, if I guess if you listen to it with that in mind it you you can hear it but it's not the first thing I thought of when I, you know, it, it feels so much more cinematic. I mean, I'm curious how much evolution happened from your initial seed to sending it off to friends and then getting getting stuff back. And how, how did that change and evolve the, the process and, you know, uh, what came out on the uh, other side? Oh, quite a bit. You know, it definitely informed uh, arrangement to hear, you know, if I got like just one live instrument from a part of a, a friend that that played something like a part that I wouldn't play it immediately you know it's like playing in a live room with a band I mean not like that but you know when you're playing with other people in the room and you're hearing them you sort of play off what other people are doing as well and you react versus just like doing everything yourself I mean I'm a big fan of musicians who do everything themselves and you know everybody from like Prince to you know to more like kind of weirdo bedroom producer stuff but I think, you know, there's a certain muscle memory and like brain patterns that you kind of start to like repeat everything. And I was hearing that in my own music. And I was feeling like I was going down the exact same road every single time I picked up, you know, uh, try to play the keys or try to play the drums or anything. So as soon as I'd get back something from somebody else, it would like, you know, just like make me go hard left. And all of a sudden like, oh, that's what's next. It's this this section that's coming up. So it was like this weird way to almost you know sort of like being in the room together which was not that much different to what things were like at the time you know it was like we were we were sort of doing this hanging out we were having like zoom happy hours like everybody was and but it wasn't quite the same but it was it was definitely better than not being around other people you know i was thinking about this yesterday and not so much because we were going to talk but um for whatever reason in my like playlists that are going on while I'm making dinner and stuff, um, <clears throat> you know, a bunch of McCartney, uh, early solo records were coming up and, you know, like the Bola Cherries record and, and Ram to some degree. I mean, these are like really homemade records kind of going back and thinking about these last two records that you've done. I mean, there are elements there, but it also really feels, um, like there's some of the that community aspect to the music uh in a way that you probably wouldn't i wouldn't guess that this these records were made by sending files back and forth 
I mean, obviously I can tell because I did it, but it, to me, it's very reflective of the time, which was, like I said, it was important for me to capture that moment in time. It feels like, you know, uh, hanging out on Zoom versus hanging out in a real room to me when I hear it. You know, I think the end result is uh, is cool. And I really think that, uh, I and mean, it's different. It's not, I don't think that one is particularly better than the other. I mean, there. I think there is something to be said for when people are, are in a room playing music that's exciting but that said some of my favorite records nobody was in the room at the same time so it's like you know not i don't think one is better than the other by any means but i think this one was to me definitely reflects what was happening kind of at the time well i mean what are some of those records that you you're talking about a lot of hip-hop stuff comes to mind you know um uh i mean one that comes to mind is is the you know last jay dilla donuts album you know sounds like like the the craziest uh stuff but it's all coming out of one person's mind in one little machine you know and uh um yeah the mccartney stuff you know you referenced definitely sounds like kind of like him playing a lot of the instruments everything to from that to like you know some of the tame impala stuff where you can tell there's uh there's elements of of it that maybe some of some other people did but most of it sounds like it was done by one person and kind of pieced together i can I can be by myself all day long for days and weeks and months on end. I was an only child. I can not talk and be just fine forever and ever and ever. However, even I, I feel like I at some point need to either listen to my music around other people or I react differently. I hear things differently once the minute somebody else walks into the room. Like I catch up, catch things that I don't. And I also feel like I said, I feel like there's a certain amount of muscle memory that if I just keep playing all the instruments then I, I end up kind of making the same decisions. And I love the, I love, I'm a big fan of like accidental stuff that happens in art, you know, where you get something from somebody else and it's like, it sends you in a whole different direction. So I like the, I like best of both worlds, ideally, you know, when you can kind of do both. But I also have had some of my favorite uh, recording memories with a bunch, bunch of people live in a room. Well, you know, you're talking about sending some of these things around and getting them back and having that influence it, not just on the playing side, but the sound sound wise, too. I mean, there is a can of worms that happens with multiple people recording with various skill levels, different platforms, timing. What were some of those things on this record that where you feel like that actually had an impact on on a uh, Jaguar sound? You know, it was interesting. I, I like I'm a fan of limitations in the studio. <clears throat> Uh, because I mean, I don't, I'm not really like super dogmatic about anything in the studio and that like whatever works, but I, but I do like limitations. I'm not, I don't like too many options and I don't like, you know, whenever I have worked on, um, for, for aesthetic reasons, but also just for practical reasons, whenever I have like worked on somebody else's music and they send me, you know, 15 drum mics, I immediately mute nine of them, you know, or five of them or something. It's like, I don't want, to, I, I just don't think that um i think there's diminishing returns at a certain point for the kind of music that i like to make it's not knocking you know what other people do and how they do it but uh there were things like like uh, so for example jeff franco who played on a lot of the drums uh on the record um it was he was sending me two mics on the drums and i'm a, I'm a big fan of limitations i do four mics you know sometimes sometimes three sometimes five two was you don't really you know it's definitely like you're you've committed and it's different when you're the one recording it because you've got the sound that you're exactly hearing, you know. So uh, everything from the 
his drum tuning to everything was different from my drums that I had. So getting two mics, uh, you don't have a t- I remember asking him one on one of them. I was like, man, I'd like a little more control. And he sent three mics. He redid it and sent three mics. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to run with it. So it was like a really fun challenge to dial in two mics, um, that I didn't record, you know, like I can do, if I spend, you know, an hour dialing in two mics, I'll get the sound I want, but dialing, getting two mics to sound like I wanted them to sound. And we weren't far off. We have the, you know, very similar aesthetic, but, uh, was a lot of like really getting creative, you know, that's where tape kind of comes in a lot is, um, there's things like that. You know, I can spend two hours on plugins trying to dial in saturation and tape and all this and staring at little in like, <laughs> Uh, cartoon tape machine stuff that makes you think you're doing it or I'm like or for in 10 minutes I can just run it to tape you know slam the tape in a certain way and I'm like oh that's the sound that's it right there so it was a lot of getting creative like that and then honestly even like having to redo bass parts to uh, match not only the where they fit with the drums but also to uh, you know a lot of times that they would play over like a beat that i had either programmed or played and then i'd have to replay again to them so and then sometimes that would even make me go all the way back down to just bass and drums and have to redo the whole thing so there was a lot of different things that happened but um none of it was was uh you know impairing anything that was happening musically it was just making me kind of keeping me on my toes you know <laughs> it was like getting something back where i'm like oh man that's that's i would have done something different but let's run with that and yeah i mean specifically the on um noble metals i was going to ask you about the the drum sound because as soon as he goes to the snare and toms it kind of blows up and distorts in a great way um i was curious if that was accidental or or was that um you know on purpose because it's it is very musical it's not like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was accidental that was accidental that was me i really liked what it was doing with the uh side stick rim shot on the on the snare and uh because i had that dialed in you know it was like that sounds awesome and then when he went to the snare it was so blown out it was one of those things where i was like that's kind of cool i don't know that i would have done that but it, i like what it you know again i'm like a fan of those kind of happy accidents so uh i also had to uh, with that one rearrange certain things in the song when when parts started coming in and i started hearing what people were doing uh, i rearranged quite a bit of it and so i had to kind of take loop him a little bit here and there like loop sections not so much uh any like real short loops but i would definitely have to like chop you know four bars eight bars whatever two bars and some like really cool weird accidents were happening where the timing is like just the slightest bit off on an open hi-hat right before yeah. coming back down to the one again. And it reminded me of hip hop stuff, you know, like I love when you uh, take something superhuman, not superhuman, very human uh, like that and, and computerize it. Like you get these weird little accidents that happen. So there was, there was a quite a, quite a few moments on that one in particular with the drums that were all, all accidents. And I can't, I can't take any credit for like, orchestrating any sort of you know genius moves like that
Yeah, I think that that stuff actually really makes it more interesting uh, a listen, you know, especially as you dig deeper through the layers of that. You have a pretty interesting console. It's a very old school console. Yeah, so right now I have a, a Collins uh, brought to broadcast console. But that's not what I did this one on, actually. Um, and uh, this one was mixed on an MCI JH416 uh, that I had. And I was having a lot of issues with it um, at the time. And it was like, like I said, pandemic time and not really able to get people to come work on things. So it was like limiting me even more. It was like, you know, I was going from four, you know, 12 stems across the console to 10 to eight to like, can I get maybe six, you know, at times six at times. So like it made me uh, have to, you know, kind of commit and make some interesting decisions. But there was the the console, the MCI was, I wouldn't say a, a super crucial part of that record, but I did mix that through that. I now, I've now gotten rid of that and have that, that tube console, which is crazy and, um, completely changed everything in the control room and everything, but there, there hasn't been anything released that's been done through that yet. Yeah. What, what is the, what are the specs on that console in terms of inputs and outputs and stuff? It was sort of brought, brought, um, somewhat up to date not on the inside but more kind of like it's been customized by by the guy i bought it from in, in florida and he really kind of modernizes them in a way that they it's for functionality so it's like you know i think it's got like 10 inputs and it also has an auxiliary one and it has a he built a whole patch bay into it has langevin eqs uh across and on on the two bus and also across every channel um, a couple of cool compressors that I always forget what the names are because I never even heard of them before this. But uh, Aaron, who's engineering here at my studio, always always loves those, and we uh, have been adding those a lot on vocals and even just on the two bus. But it and it has a full patch bay built in, so you can really route, like really get creative with your routing through all of it. So he's really updated it. I mean, it even has like an extra aux channel if you want to plug in a phone and stuff. But you know, the, it's still you're still getting the the beef of the the actual broadcast console in there but it's amazing what he did to it you know it's a it was it really was you know every you everybody always talks about getting color out of this and character and whatnot it was the first time it was so different so insanely different from anything i've ever had that it was almost kind of jarring at first when we ran them i was like well we'll just now start running through mixes through here but it changed everything so much where i was like wow we can't just run it through here and expect it to sound like what we've been listening to. You have to like start committing to that, you know, or know what you're getting into. And now we've wrapped our head around it a lot better in here where I know exactly I go, I have that and just a little Neve, uh, those, that Neve centerpiece thing. And we kind of like combine between those two and get kind of the best of both worlds. You know, we want the Neve thing. Um, that's just a little more outlined and clear and, intense then we get that and then the the console kind of softens certain things up and glues things together so it's actually been kind of fun working on this like frankenstein setup yeah and so are you re and you're recording back into pro tools and just doing stems into the yeah typically because we do usually do eight track live to tape when when we're actually recording live you know and then uh into the computer and then kind of handle overdubs in there and then stem back out. Yeah. I think with, with, uh, you know, just the, the e functionality and ease of like recall and everything, I'm the, my, that's the way to go for me is, 
is stemming through a console versus like building individual mixes from scratch. You know, I, I wish I had the time and budget to do all that, but it's just not that practical sometimes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's technology has uh, allowed for us to work smarter, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and still bet. And I, you know, I was just, I was just uh, talking to a couple of people that I really respect who know a lot about gear and that you know one guy in particular was just like oh man you know mix through the box as long as your front end is good it really doesn't make that much a difference but just yesterday we were mixing some some stuff for a, uh, the boletos album we did a austin city limits tv taping and we were uh, mixing the audio and kind of been mixing it for a while just mostly in the box and running it out through some gear after that but decided to actually run the, all the stems through the neve thing uh, the neve centerpiece and i mean it was like really a, a night and day like immediately heard it and i'm like oh wow everything now just sounds a little more outlined and uh and present you know so i i do think that that i, I am a believer for sure that that it it's worth the extra effort to you know run things through a any sort of kind of extra analog love like that yeah, and I think it's just like process-wise when you when you start thinking about how you're organizing your mixes and you know if you have a limited amount of inputs or stereo, you know, maybe you run your lead vocal and your bass to an individual their own track, but everything else is potentially being summed, then you know on a stereo pair, all your guitars or or all your keys or your drums are on, you know, all that stuff. It it it, it is forcing it. The process is forcing you to make some decisions and you know commit in some way rather than just everything going down the two mix on your on your pro tools and i, and I, th I think it does make a, d a huge difference not just sonically but the way that you're approaching your process you know for sure absolutely yeah, yeah. um i wanted to ask you about uh, maybe we could um talk about a couple um tracks on the record um you know I have a couple that or you know jumped out to me as things I really like and one we mentioned which was noble metals and especially the tone of that and stuff but um uh rise of the have nots is a really interesting one it, to me it it jumps the genre boundaries of <laughs> a couple times in there in the middle you have this synth solo that just reminds me of like a tangerine dream record from <laughs> you know it's it's uh, it's really cool and then and then it's then it's into something else completely um so that that's a fun one uh what what was the thought behind some of that so that was uh i was at the time listening to was kind of listening to a little bit of instrumental music and uh revisited this album by this italian composer named um, mario molino and it was a uh, library music you know i'm not sure if you're familiar with kind of what there was a lot of amazing composers that uh particularly european composers in the late 60s early 70s really that were doing you know library music for tv and film and uh the arrangements were killer it was all these killer producers and arrangers and they were just funky as hell and some of them were super out there it was this really out there uh record by mario molino that had a lot of weird weirdo synth stuff that i was really digging into it was like it all sounded like really aggressive drums with with synths and um again that this actually this one is a good example of like kind of whatever works and best of both worlds i had i had um you know a handful of synths in the studio but i had just gotten this vst pack about a year before that called a grindhouse on 
which was like through the contact library and I've never seen anybody else with it. I don't even know how I stumbled on it, but it's all like grindhouse B movie type sounds like Kung Fu sounds and weird stuff. And it had this one synth that, uh, I started playing and I tried to recreate that on synths, and I did just never sounded as cool as the VST. So that synth is like straight off the computer and yeah, just imagine the, a big epic, you know, battle at the end, battle freak out. I was having fun at the end, actually, like that second half when that synth freak out thing happens, uh, messing around with like, there was more and more reverb coming in on the drums. And then at one point I go like completely, when it goes back to the drums, completely ditch the like spring reverb and go to like a tight kind of 80s reverb, which I never really do just for fun. And I was having fun with all those colors at the end just to create little moments of tension you know Yeah, no, it's it's super effective and a, and a really fun fun track. Um, what are some of your other your your favorite tracks or things that you you know? I know know when you make a record, you kind of fall in 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 love with with different things at different times, you know. Yeah, I I like I really liked uh, the I think I forget the exact titles. I know the first one is called Portrait. The first little like intro thing is called Portrait of the Artist as a Young Woman, and I I had use that as sort of a theme throughout the album so there's like that one and then there's no no reflection with two children portrait of the artist of a young woman as a young woman and final portrait uh were are all kind of a a little melodic theme that i revisited and that i had a lot of fun with that because it's just kind of like a you know that's one of the things i like about about movie scores is is when you have when you have a melodic undercurrent like that that kind of reappears with a variation sometimes you can tell it is and sometimes you can't sometimes it sounds like a whole different song so i made you know basically three versions of that idea and those all kind of tied the record together and those were fun because one is completely just vibraphone one has drums and it's kind of weird and the other one has a guitar and like uh, i did probably might have done a couple even other versions of it too that didn't make the album Thank you. 
were you getting uh, any any outside um, feedback on any of this stuff? No, <laughs> not at all on this one. This one was completely like a true quarantine record. I mean, as you started to send this to people, uh, and 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 you know the people that played on this record, and and I love uh, you know friends with Neil Francis, and it was fun to see his name show up on this stuff. He's he's great. What was their reaction when they actually heard the final tracks? You know, uh, I, most people were with the final tracks hadn't even heard them. Like, uh, I think I'd sent it to a bunch of people a while back, but then kind of just put it aside. But I'm just getting texts today from people that probably had, hadn't heard it until today. I mean, I, it may be that it, they just didn't hear it when I sent it, but I'm getting uh, hit up by quite a few people that played on it today that are finally, you know, n- picking up on things. Uh, so it seems like people were pretty surprised and pretty react. I mean, I, I tend to do that. I tend to like finish an album and it takes me a while before I can play for the world, you know, or even friends. I'm really pretty kind of a private person by nature, but also I, I am not ready for when I'm ready for feedback, I'll start playing it when I'm not, I don't, you know, sometimes I need a break from it and I kind of don't want to hear what people have to say about it. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> what's next? Do you have, have any more of these instrumental solo records in the, in the can uh instrumental at the moment not not anything i, I think i th- you know uh, itched my instrumental itch for for uh, with this album although i did actually in the last week want to sit down and do some just uh instrumental stuff just with acoustic guitar nothing else been hearing that in my head maybe a little ep but, but and i have some ideas but nothing's really been recorded uh i did start boletos 2 which is going to be you know, the, the, for me to want to do a part two like that, I'm not, it's not really something I, I, you know, I don't like to like repeat myself too much, but I did want to do a different version of this because I did want to do this one live with a band and we've already cut a few, a few tracks with everybody in the room and it's great, amazing, really cool. And then just, again, it's just going to be different. It's just, it has a whole different feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I know we had something scheduled to talk about uh, Bolero Psychedelicos and I had a, you know, I, I absolutely, I adore that record and, and oh, listen thanks, to it man. all the time. It's really, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's sort of a magical record. And I, I just think that you've, you nailed so, so much of the essence of like that that era even though you you know made it essentially in quarantine and sent tracks around it it just mm-hmm. has a real magic to it so um Thanks, i will uh encourage people to go take a, a listen to that as well as we wrap up and I, I thank you for your time today and uh it's always a pleasure to chat definitely man good to see you yeah well enjoy the rest of your day and congratulations thanks man we'll talk soon Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapebop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.